Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is people! <laughs> my sister and my daughter! Rosebud. What's in the box? Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, and this is a Slate spoiler special podcast on Us, the new horror film from writer-director Jordan Peele. And joining me here in the Slate studio is Kay Austin Collins, the critic for Vanity Fair. Hey, Cam. Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, okay, so we have we have a lot to unpack with this movie. <laughs> it's only just under two hours long. Uh, it's not an incredibly long running time, but it's a very stuffed, some would say overstuffed movie, full of <laughs> ideas, full of plot twists full of time frames and kind of conceptual uh, jumps. So I guess we'll just start at the top, but I think we're going to have to make some analytical detours as we as we go along. Sure, uh, but yeah. as usual, I just want to um, just quickly get a response, yes or no, send people or not, did you like this movie? I did. I had a really good time with some caveats. Mm-hmm. And the caveats are just enjoy it. <laughs> right. <laughs> just go with it. The caveats might have to do as much with the reception of the movie no? and of Jordan Peele in general as with this particular movie, which Absolutely. we will get into, yes. no doubt. Um, so, but, but we should probably start off by saying this is his second film. His debut film, Get Out, was, you know, this smash hit and also kind of one of the talking pieces of the year it came out, which is, I guess, 2017. Yeah, it right? seems like a long time ago. Yeah, everything does <laughs> these days. <laughs> and, uh, and so naturally the response to this movie is going to be tempered is the wrong word, but it's going to be affected by the huge splash that that movie made. And I feel like there are a lot of people wanting to say, Jordan Peele's in a sophomore slump. And uh, I just wanted to quickly get a sense of whether you think that's true with this movie. I wasn't disappointed by it at all. I, like you, thoroughly enjoyed it and walked out talking and thinking about it and haven't stopped thinking about it since. Yeah, I, I mean, sophomore slump is unfair because because if you're comparing it to what he did with his first movie, which changed the culture in some ways, which gave us like, a, you know, the sunken place is a thing that now everyone knows what it is. It's like more than just something that's viral. It's a part of the culture in a way. So if that's the standard, then there's no way he's not going to have a sophomore slump, right? You don't you don't do that with every film. Right. Um, and and of it's course not also, Get Out. It's not Get Out. Right. And of course, the first film is also going to have the surprise element. Like, who right. knew Jordan Peele, the sketch right. comedian, could write and direct? And that we already know and we will never unknow it. So Right. Absolutely. And this is, yeah, this is the movie after Get Out. And that's unfair to this movie. I mean, it's a flawed movie, but I, I think it's I think it's going to get dinged for not being for not being the, you know, the super elegant um, masterpiece that, that Get Out was, which is too bad. I mean, I may get, go down the road of saying that I, I like some of its flaws. I feel like some of its flaws are like the imperfections that give it its own character and I'm beauty. I'm the same, I think. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But let's start. Let's start at the beginning. So the first thing we see, actually, the very first thing we see, I was going to get into the flashback, which we will. But the very first thing we see is a commercial, I believe, an original vintage commercial or, or promotional TV announcement for Hands Across America, which was the, the mid 80s. Uh, what would you call it, charity event where sort of conceptually every American across the nation would join hands and form this human chain and it was somehow going to raise money for homelessness? That's the part that no one can, (laughs) everyone who remembers this, no one can remember why that was supposed to do what it did in terms of activism. Um, But everyone remembers the image. Like it's a very familiar image, but I don't really know what the, I mean the 80s when it comes to like, you know, mainstream activism, um, was sort of hokey. Yeah. Well, apparently the organizers of Hands Across America later did We Are the World, the single. Okay. So it's well, that same kind of idea, right? The big mega sense. gonzo fundraiser. Yeah. Um, so so we see that ad sort of out of context. All we know is that it's 86. We can tell from the shelves around the TV that it's still right. 1986 because somebody's been watching Chud on VHS. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and we see that. Then we immediately go to 1986, Legend on the Screen, and a little girl at a Santa Cruz boardwalk whack-a-mole concession who wanders away from her dad and uh, take it away. Tell me what happens to her after that. Well, she goes to the beach. First of all, her parents have an entire conversation about why the dad is supposed to be watching the daughter. The dad is kind of a goofball. She kind of wanders off. We already know by this point, she's very observant. She's very kind of slow in her gestures. She's just looking around, taking things in. I don't think she says a word, does she? I don't think she says anything, right. Um, And so she wanders. How old do you think she's supposed to be, by the way? They never say. I don't know, eight? Yeah, she's eight? pretty little. Yeah. yeah, like little, little, but like definitely aware enough, cognizant enough, curious enough to, to wander off on her own. Um, she wanders away from the whack-a-mole. She passes by a kind of hippie-looking guy uh, holding a sign, Jeremiah 1111, kind of gives her a menacing look. She walks past him to the dark of the beach, and she wanders into this funhouse um, right? It was. You call it a fun house? Yeah. Yeah. Like, some sort of. It's a, it ends up to be a house of mirrors, but I think right. on the outside it just says, you know, creepy haunted house. Right. A, a regular fun house. Um, and she walks in, and it's appropriately creepy. But at some point, she starts whistling because she gets scared. She gets lost, and she hears someone else whistling back at her. So she's trying to escape, and lo and behold, she runs into a girl who looks just like her. And we kind of cut at the face that she makes, the face of horror she makes at this face. But noting that she is in the house of mirrors at that moment, right? right? We've just seen her in all these distorted fun mirrors, et cetera. So we can't be entirely sure at that moment whether it's a trick of her eyes or her psychology that right. she saw her exact double. Right. Right. It's, it's supposed to be very suggestive. And then the, that's the very last thing, right? You see her eyes widen as she sees this other little girl who's her double. And then I think then we go to the bunnies, right? Then there's a credit right. sequence with unexplained wall full of almost like a lab full of caged rabbits. We'll get back to the rabbits. I don't think right. I ever completely understood what the bunny dungeon was no. doing in the movie. <laughs> and also the lack of poop in the in the bunny dungeon is something that I've, I've been discussing with friends a lot. It, <laughs> practically, it, it, it doesn't add up. <laughs> but, um, oh, I guess I guess we should should even say that Maybe the first first thing we see are some titles about underground tunnels. In oh the yeah, US. you're right. Before even the before even the, the commercial, um, and that becomes very important later on. So right. that title is essentially just telling us that throughout the United States, there's all these tunnels of unknown origin and unknown purpose. Some of them are train tunnels, or we don't know what they are, mine shafts that right. wind underneath the United States. And right. I believe the last sentence of that title that stays on the screen a little bit longer is something like, they have no known purpose. Right. right? So that kind of leaves you with this sense of, of mystery from the beginning. Right. Yeah. 
All right, so now we got to get to the present day. Yeah. Um, we've got Adelaide that we now know as the little girl's name, grown up, played by Lupita Nyong'o. And I believe the first thing we see of her is that she and her family are driving to their summer beach house. Right. Right, for a vacation. She's got two kids, maybe a girl who's maybe 15 or so. 15. Sassy in the 15-year-old way. <laughs> right, on the phone all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. And a little boy who's maybe 11, something like that. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, and husband Winston Duke. Uh, well, Gabe in the movie, but Winston Duke. So they're resuming their kind of Black Panther cast energy. Except um, that instead of playing somebody who's very sort of imposing and noble, <laughs> he is now just this complete doofus. I, I read in one interview dad. that Winston Duke based this performance on Homer Simpson, which is really perfect. That's he's very incredible. Simpsonian. Yeah. So, Homer yeah, he's Simpson kind of a Howard sweatshirt. He's, he's, he's a big goofball. He's obviously a good dad and a good husband, but really like the least occult kind of person you could imagine. And they're headed for this vacation home, and we can tell that Adelaide is jittery. I mean, we can immediately draw a line. And by the way, we'll get to this later, but Nyong'o's performance is amazing throughout the whole movie. really like takes it to the next level. Like I already liked her and admired her as an actress, but I don't think I had a sense of her chops. And the stuff that she has to do later on that we'll get to is just insane. But from the beginning, you see already the trauma of whatever happened to that little girl, right? Oh, we actually forgot to say that at the beginning, you also see a tiny bit of the aftermath, don't you? You see a tiny bit of the aftermath of her... um, of her traumatic experience in the funhouse mirror, which is that she stops talking afterwards and her parents take her to therapy to try to figure out why she won't speak and what happened to her during those few minutes. And they're mad at each other about the whole thing having happened, right? Right. So you see that trauma kind of in the face of the, you know, maybe 30-something-year-old Adelaide on her way to vacation. But again, as was the case with the funhouse mirror, we don't know, is this just her messed up psychology, right? Or is this something that's objectively happening to the family? Is there really a cloud of doom, as she says, a black cloud hanging over over everything? Right, right. Yeah, you know, I I think by the point we're sort of watching the family get to the house, um, it almost feels like a different genre of horror movie. I mean, there there is the sort of like funhouse mirror horror but when we get to the house uh i immediately am like okay so th- this is going to be kind of a home invasion thing also partially because of the trailers but i think it's worth noting that there are multiple genres of horror that he is he is combining here into one movie which maybe be might be part of why people think it's so overstuffed but i mean it is overstuffed but but he's he's sort of like moving from thing to thing he pivots like through moods and and genres really um, fluidly, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, the beach vacation contains elements of Jaws, for sure. The right. little boy even has a Jaws t-shirt at one point. There's a there's a fight scene on a boat later that's got tons of Jaws references. Right. And But there's also some of, I don't know, uh, Halloween in there, right? Absolutely. There's, there's the even strangers. a kid in a, in a mask. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, the kid in the mask. <laughs> uh, and, and like, as you say, home invasion, slasher, all of that stuff is kind of at work. I mean, basically, when this family is moving into the house and something doesn't feel quite right, you know that, some, sure enough, something is not going to be quite yeah, right. Absolutely. And so before we get to the point that the home invaders show up, which is pretty early in the movie, um, there's one more set of characters to meet, which is their pals on the beach. So, um, so Gabe Winston Duke convinces his wife to go to the beach as nervous as she is about it. It's somewhat quite of a question why she agreed to go on a beach vacation right near right. where she had this horrible experience. But I gather from the house they're staying at that it's maybe her family's house, that it was her parents' beach house so that they yeah. inherited, right? Because there's a picture on the wall that seems to have been drawn by her as a kid. Right. Right. Um, so maybe it's not entirely her choice. That's just the place they have to go on vacation, right? Yeah. Um, but he convinces her to go to the beach, although she's nervous about it. And there they meet their friends, played by Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss, who are just kind of a pair of bumbling drunks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bumbling rich people, drunk rich people with uh, with completely aggravating but kind of fabulous as performances, um, twin teen daughters 
um, who are horrible in the best kind of way. Yeah, well, I love here's here's one of the few or here's one of the many places that he plants a seed that is kind of funny at first and becomes horrific later, which is that the two bitchy twin teens, they're fraternal twins, I believe, not right. identical, right? But the, still, the twinness, right? I mean, there's so much in this movie, right down to the eleven eleven verse right. of Jeremiah that's about twinning. Um, but they're doing gymnastics on the beach, right? Right. And they're sort of showing off their limber bodies and doing cartwheels and stuff like that. And of course, later we'll get there, but later when their evil selves take over, they're using cartwheels as part of their their fight style. Yeah, absolutely. This is also the scene where we, um, you know, there's there are moments of Lupita and Elizabeth Moss talking to each other and things that things that seem important later, like Elizabeth Moss saying that she's got work done. Um, on her face. On her face, yeah. um, et, et cetera. Like little details that are being planted that, unlike in other movies where you kind of feel these things being planted and can sort of see where they're going to go logically, these things actually weren't things that I expected to sort of reoccur um, in the way that they do. I think he's pretty sly about it because really the conversation just feels like Lupita's on this beach. She does not want to be on this beach. It is, it, you know, Elizabeth Moss's is kind of not her friend. She's the wife of yeah. of, of Winston Duke's friend. Um, so she just doesn't want to be there. And it just seems like they're just incompatible personalities. But later on, it's, it's more... Um, the details you learn about the major are more menacing. Well, the script is pretty compact in that way. I mean, you could argue that it tries to put in too many ideas, but you can't really argue that there's many lines of dialogue or details that he throws out that right. are wasted, right? right? I mean, everything Elizabeth Moss says comes back later in her next big scene. Yeah. And, uh, and all of the stuff that's established about the kids' relationship at the beach and all of that, it's all going to come into play. And again, it's kind of a twinning thing, right? It's like in part one, you get a comical or lighthearted or everyday life version of something. And in part two, you get the occult, freaky, horrifying version Absolutely. of that same detail. And, you know, there's actually one more thing that happens at the speech. I keep There's so many things that happen in this movie. But at one point, the son wanders off and he sees um, a homeless man who seems to be bleeding in some way. Before, as they were driving to the beach, they saw someone getting carried away on a stretcher, and it was a homeless man. And he had a Jeremiah 11-11, right? So he's the aged version of that same guy. Right. Um, but still, at that point, you could be saying, like, oh, this is still her trauma, right? She's right. just re-seeing a guy she saw long ago. He's an old man now, so he's dead, right? right? right it doesn't right. necessarily have to be something supernatural at that right. moment. Um, but let's get to the point that they see their own, and this is in the trailer, so this is not even a spoiler, but that they see their own doubles clad in red jumpsuits standing in their driveway. I believe it's the very first night at the beach, right? They I didn't even is. get a single day of good vacation. Yeah, I think it is. I think, I think, I think you're right. I think, I think they, get to, they get back to the house. Lupita is increasingly agitated. She has a monologue about this dark cloud over her. There's, there's things that are in her past that she hasn't told her husband about yet that she's telling him now. But she doesn't tell him the whole thing. But she doesn't tell him the whole at thing at all. <laughs> <laughs> she leaves out some important details. Um, and then their son sees someone. Right, he sees someone in the driveway, and they go out. These people are non-responsive. They don't know that they're doubles at first. They're just kind of a, a, a streak of people in the driveway, kind of backlit by by one of the uh, street lights. It's very menacing. And the next thing you know, these people are coming toward the house and they know where the spare key is and then they're in the house. Right. I love, by the way, that the, the spare key is in a hide-a-key. <laughs> and I love Gabe's line, what is this white shit? <laughs> when he realizes they got him with a hide-a-key. And that comes up later with Tim Harry Heidegger and Elizabeth Moss's house, which they leave unlocked, right? right like the absolutely. complacent, rich white people they absolutely. are. <laughs> absolutely. Right. No one, no one thinks they're getting attacked. And, and I should say, like, there is something... I would I don't want to call it misleading, but I think that something that everyone who's already sort of interpreting the movie is attached to is that these families have money. Um, but I think it's worth pointing in mind, keeping in mind rather that 
there are other victims in this movie who aren't rich people. Like, w- the story we're getting is the one about the rich people because I think they pose a very, you know, easy and, like, discernible extreme to the to the people that we're going to call the tethered. But the first victim that we see is a homeless guy. Right. Um, and the other people who die in the movie, although we don't see them dying, you see the kind of their bodies, they're not... They're not like this isn't just a movie about the bourgeois. Right. And there's also a class difference between the Wilsons, the family, Lupita Nyong'o's family and their white friends. Right. right they seem to be more solidly middle class. They have an inherited beach house. Right. right. They seem to live kind of simply whatever. They have some fast food when they get in. Right. Whereas their white friends seem to be living in this, you know, more like a white glassed in palace right. and living a slightly fancy lifestyle. One of those houses you talk to and it does things. With an Alexa that's called Ophelia. We'll get there. I love Ophelia. That's one of I my favorite Ophelia jokes too. in this movie. Okay, but we got to get the crazy people in the door. So yes. they're in the door. They got in with the Heide key and describe this foursome that comes in. I mean, in addition to being played by the same actors, so they're obviously identical. What do they look like? Well, the... There's the son who is called Pluto, and he's crawling. He's more like a dog. Um, the Lupita lookalike, it, her, she has a voice. Uh, the, the voice that I thought of was the way that Toni Morrison describes Beloved's voice in Beloved. Wow, sort of yeah. like post-throat slit kind of gargle. Yeah, how she found voice. that voice. I mean, I don't know what kind of vocal coaching she yeah, did, but she, that voice is incredible. There's a video of a, of a, a red carpet interview that she did um, like last week where she talks about, she bases it on a kind of physical condition, but she did a lot of work. She did a lot of work to get this voice. Whereas when Duke's character sort of has a moan, he doesn't really have a language in the same way. Well, it's isn't it established later on that all of the tethered, as they call themselves, as the red clad, you know, invaders call themselves, are nonverbal, except right. for Lupita's double, Except right? Except for Lupita's double, right. And we'll find out why. Absolutely. Yeah, but they're, they're all nonverbal, but but they they exhibit a lot of the same qualities, just mean. You know, the, the boy, Pluto, is sort of mischievous in the way that their son really is. And Winston Duke is kind of like the big lumbering dad in both versions. Right. Yeah, he's clueless, <laughs> clueless evil and clueless good. So really, they're both variations on Homer, um, fr- frankly, uh, which is really funny to me. Um but yeah, they're, they're just menacing versions of themselves. So the daughter is a track star and her parents want her to keep doing that. She doesn't really want to do it. But her double is a, a runner. Her right. And the run. ability to run becomes really important for the two of them. They're always right. trying to outrun each other. So the they, boy, too, this is jumping ahead a little bit and spoiling something later. But you know how his counterpart wears this mask, right? A very Jason style kind of white mask covering his face. When he takes it off later, he's been horribly burned because we know that he's kind of a, an arsonist. You know what do they right. call it? A pyromaniac. Yeah. right? And uh, and that, in a way, seems connected to the the kid in the everyday world as well, who isn't established as a disturbed kid or a pyromaniac, but as kind of a different kid, right? I mean, right. there's a couple references to him maybe being on the spectrum or just being a little bit, you know, his development is a little slow or something like that. Remember, right. like he's playing with sand on the beach and the teen girls make fun of him right. for being a baby. And so that you get a little bit of a sense that, you know, if he hadn't been loved, if he hadn't been nurtured, that's the boy he might have turned out to be. Yeah, absolutely. And even, I mean, this the whole time you try to do this trick with like a, a, a lighter i didn't realize it was a lighter until he you know until he and his tethered self sort of interact a bit more um but yeah the 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 parallels i think you're really right the parallels are the difference is the version that is loved the version that is unloved and and lupita's double has a whole monologue about this where she says you know when you were getting great christmas toys i was getting shit (laughs) like when you were eating great food i was barely eating um there's a whole monologue that she lays up before they kind of split off with their doubles and each are menaced by their other selves Lupita's double has a monologue where she just says, you know, basically I'm you, but just like the version of you that no one cared for. Mm-hmm. Um, right. 
you kind of have to put that together from her dialogue because between the voice and how yeah. kind of strangely mythic and limited her vocabulary is, you kind of have to put together as a viewer that, wait a minute, you know, they seem to come from some netherworld where everybody has a double. Although at right. first we only know that this family has doubles. It takes right. a while to discover, and this is a really crazy discovery when it happens, that this is happening all over the world, right. Right? right? In fact, I can't remember how far into the movie we first see the netherworld. We first see any glimpses or flashbacks of what it's like down there, but that is one of the scariest and also I think just best um, designed and, and produced parts of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's it's a really a while before. Yeah, it's it's a while before you kind of understand how big this is. And and the first tell is basically when they go to their friend's house and realize that their friends have doubles too. But but at first, it's really just this this family arrives and they sort of split off with their doubles and the two daughters. Which sort of Lupita run away. tells them to do right? right. She says, "Let's divide. Let's split up, Scooby Doo right. style." It's it's very clear that the double has come here to kill their sort of you know, above ground human self that like that's that's the sort of deal that that's what they get to do um, sort of claim their space, I guess, above ground that they each have to kill their middle class <clears throat> better half. Um, so they split off. Winston Duke goes out to on, on his uh, like jet motorboat or whatever. whatever. I don't know rich people things. <laughs> Although, again, this is not quite a rich person it's thing because the person joke thing. has been established earlier. And I love it's very Homer Simpson, the earlier yes. scene with him, just dad joking away with his kids about his rusty boat that he's right. so proud of. Um, and he as he shows them, it needs to be kicked several times for the motor to run, et cetera. Right. And so it's not quite a rich person thing. It's more him trying to keep up with his richer friend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it becomes the scene of this this great, great action sequence later on. I don't want to get there yet because there's so much that happens before. Yeah. Um, so then we, we enter on the sort of ho- hardcore home invasion part of the movie where Lupita gets chained, handcuffed to the coffee table by her double. And they're kind of having an, an encounter, you know, actually interacting verbally, whereas everyone else in the family is just either trying to escape from or trying to kill their own double elsewhere in the house. Um, the two boys end up in a closet together. And that's when you discover the burns on the on the netherworld kid's face. Right. Um, the two older girls, I guess, are just sprinting away from each other. There's one of those horror movie moments, though, where you say, why, why, why not keep going? Remember where yes. the other, her evil double is chasing her over a car? Right. And she kind of stops to have this encounter and, and see if she's under the car. I mean, if you're a track star, just keep on moving. Just keep, just keep running. I have to say, note here, for a track star, <laughs> she was not running particularly <laughs> fast. I thought, I thought, okay, this is where you're like going to fly. Um, and granted, like the her, her tethered uh, self is faster and I buy that. But I kind of wanted, I kind of wanted more, like, like I don't know, Speedy Gonzalez, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I did not get the impression. I was like, okay, this is why you want to quit track. Your parents don't know that you're actually not as good at it as maybe they think you <laughs> are. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it becomes this home invasion, but, but like split four ways. And I think you learn things about each of the main characters, but also they're tethered and kind of. Um, in fascinating ways. For example, when the boys are in the closet, there's this moment where you realize that Pluto um, is 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 susceptible to like mimicry. That that as that as the sun starts to do things, he starts to do them, and that becomes important. But just their fascination, like he's the one who's fascinated with with his sort of above ground human self. Um, and I, I think you're right. Part of it is that he, he seems to be like there seems to be like a that he's on the spectrum and things like that. But it's but it's also just he's the youngest. Um, he's the baby, and they have an encounter in the closet that just suggests that these tethered aren't just lookalikes. They're people who are trying to embody their their 
above ground selves in, yeah. a, in a particular way. And are way. compelled to, in fact, yeah. right? I mean, with the boys, for whatever reason, maybe just because they're young, it's particularly uh, evident that they're copying, that you know, the, the, the netherworld kid is copying the above world kid. But the entire netherworld appears to function by the principle that they're going through these motions. And this is what's so scary about it. I saw this movie with my 13-year-old daughter who loved wow. it. She's a horror movie aficionado. She liked Get Out. I knew she would like it. Um, but... But it's really freaky, right? I think I was more scared than she was, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but she was the one who pointed out afterwards, like, one of the scariest ideas is what it would be like to live your whole life in that netherworld place, kind of compulsively performing these actions that don't have any social context or meaning, right? right, um, right. So, for example, you see at the very beginning, the very, very beginning, um, little Adelaide gets the Michael Jackson t-shirt won for her by her dad at a carnival game, right. right? And then later, much later, you see this kind of creepy reenactment of that down in the underworld, but without any of the like fun or joy you know it is just this kind of mechanical enacting of winning the game and getting the shirt you know and their whole lives right. are like that and all of it playing out in these dark hallways with everyone squished together um it's 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 quite something i think yeah i, I agree with you that that as a feat of design that is one of the most interesting things about the movie um but i guess we're reaching the point where they leave their own house they leave their right? own house like they've sort of defeated the tethered in a way um they get away and at that point, has Gabe killed? Isn't he the first one to kill his double or really encounter his double? Yes, right. Yeah, I think by the time they get to by the time they get to Elizabeth Moss's house and start dealing with that whole crazy situation, right. I think he's already had it out on the boat with his double. And right. I just wanted to briefly talk about their encounter on the boat because yes. it really is it's it's really Jordan Peele at his best. I think it's yeah. one of those moments where you're laughing and then screaming and then laughing again. You know that scene is just so packed with good action and uh, and. Also with the kind of callbacks that we were talking about from yeah. earlier. You know, I mean, among other things, just that the stupid boat that everyone was making fun of him for ends up being the site of this fateful encounter. Yeah. And that part of the way that he de- de- defeats the tethered is just by kind of hitting his head on the motor and kickstarting it. It's like it's like this perfect combination of boneheadedness, but also gruesome horror because of what happens. Um, but there's also, also a Spielberg callback, I should say. <laughs> this is very Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? The moment Absolutely. that you only discover that he's gotten his double finally because the road rotary motor splashes blood on his face yeah it, it's very but yeah, yeah you're right this is the first this is the first of the tethered to die i think that was also the moment where i didn't know that the tethered could die i don't think it's really clear until you see it happen yeah you don't know the rules of the universe you don't yeah. know if they're zombie you just don't you just don't know um and and even that even in that encounter like there's a moment where you think that the the winston duke tethered is is going to be dead because he's being dragged around by the boat but it's clear that he's not there's a sense of invis- invincibility to these people even also we should say that like the Lupita double has these gestures or like these signals that there's this, this sense of like they're communicating to each other this sort of, uh, you know, like tactical plan that they seem to have. Right. You well, just somehow, don't know somehow what do. as th- this is one of the many things that we talked about standing in the lobby for probably like 20 minutes after this movie, me yeah. and some some slate folks and my daughter trying to figure it out. And it's this it's that it's that. Adelaide's double, who's called Red in the credits, by the way, we should say, but I don't think of her as that because nobody ever calls her that in the movie. Nobody ever calls her anything. But she, the person who, as we later discover, organized this entire insurrection where all of these people are coming up from the netherworld to, you know, kill their counterparts. It all had to be organized without language and almost without culture, you know. And so hmm. they must the idea must be that she's evolved some sort of either mind communication or really complicated gestural language because, you know, they're pulling off a big logistical feat by right. the end of this movie. Right. right. And she does later say that it took a really long time to plan. But that's one of the things that I think people are going to be hung up on is just the the 
the fair practical question of like, you guys were all underground. How'd you even get scissors? Right. Like, <laughs> how'd you even get these jumpsuits? <laughs> Such nice shiny scissors. And how'd they figure out where to go even? How did right. every single person figure out they're among the six billion people on earth, whatever, how many right. people fi- figure out how they're supposed to get to them? Right. There's like a, there's like a, there's a, there's the people that, the, the scientists that kind of made these clones happen that we don't really see, we sort of vaguely hear about. We just don't know what the plan was supposed to be. Wait, scientists? I, or, I, I or thought there scientists. was no explanation for why it was happening. I thought there was like the, that there was a, a scheme going on. There was something going on. There was like an experiment that got abandoned. It was the way that I understood it. But, but the, again, this is all in the kind of late monologue where I think a lot of things are coming at us. But I thought that there, I thought that she said that there was an experiment that got abandoned and once it got abandoned, no one knew Mm-hmm. What to do with mm-hmm. them? That would account for the bunnies. I yeah, guess. right, right. But but even then, it's just you don't know. You just don't know. You don't really know the nature of the connection psychically or not. And maybe that's where I mean I would say, and this maybe lines up with what you said early on about just like enjoy it. I mean I'm not saying don't analyze this movie. It right. obviously wants to be unpacked in lots of ways, but it's the supernatural, right? Yeah. I mean when you come right down to it, ultimately like there's something going on that's supernatural, right? right. They have a connection that's psychic in some way, and that can't just be explained by actual practical facts like scientists creating right. clones. Yeah, and, and I think this is where Jordan Peele gets into trouble a little bit because I think that he has made a movie that encourages that kind of scrutiny, whereas I think it's just better and easier for us to just be like, yeah, let's just go with it. It's just supernatural. Yeah. Like, I think I think too much too much scrutiny is just going to raise questions that just can't be answered in a satisfying way. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Just like, it's supernatural. They know the addresses of, of the above ground people because they're psychically connected to them. Because they are. They're, they're kind of performing their gestures, etc. But beyond that, I can't, I don't want to press too hard. You know? Because I think it would fall apart. Yeah, I do want to, when we finally get to the big revelation at the end, kind of kind of walk back through the beginning of the movie and see how we understand it differently. Yeah, absolutely. But, but let's just talk about this total tour de force that is the scene in the white people's White House. <laughs> it's just utterly nuts. First of all, I can I just say, I would watch a separate movie about Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss's family. <laughs> and, and their doubles, but even not with the doubles. Their interactions, their sort of drunken sort of mutual resentment is comical in a way that is, they're both totally game. It's comical in a way that I really liked, frankly. Yeah. I, I, I really quite like And the daughters, I could have used more of the daughters. The, they're not the focus of the movie, but they're just such a funny... In the way that in the way that Get Out sort of has like clear comic elements that sort of leaven the horror, I think this is their house is just a, a moment of the fact that they have an Ophelia, the fact that when someone tries to call nine one one, Ophelia puts fuck the police on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and also when Elizabeth Moss is being murdered by her double, or whoever murders her, I can't even remember if it's her double, but as she's crawling through the floor in her own blood saying, stop, then Ophelia, the Alexa counterpart, stops playing the music. It's just so good. There's so many good joke ideas. Yeah, it's so good. But this is is the scene where we realize that everyone has a double, or or at least this other white family, but but we're to assume, I think, that everyone has a double, because their doubles show up. Um, and unlike with, with Lapita and Winston's family, their doubles really pretty quickly kill everyone. They get it done. <laughs> this family is just not equipped, um, which is I think is also funny, and I think potential commentary that just family is just like, they're so rich that they just are not prepared. Right, their they're, complacency is next level, right? I mean, you could yeah. critique the Wilsons for being complacent, middle class, whatever, but these guys are really clueless, so they're very, very right. easily found and killed. Absolutely. Um, and I think some of the really interesting things that happened in their house for me are the ways, again, like the ways that the tethered sort of communicate 
this telepathic connection to the above ground other person, which is just like Elizabeth Moss is t- tethered, for example, when she's looking at herself in the mirror, starts to cut her face in an imitation of Elizabeth Moss getting work the facelift. Done. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like it took me a second to realize that that was what that was. But things like that are just like don't need to be explained more than they are. Just perfectly eerie. Mm-hmm. Just works extremely well. Elizabeth Moss is great at that kind of f- like grotesque, weird, uh, like smile grimace. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where she puts on the <laughs> lip gloss as her yeah. own double. It made me want a whole Scream Queen series yeah. starring Elizabeth Moss. It really did. And she has another movie coming up um, called Her Smell, and when she does more of that kind of grotesque work, but but she's really good at that. I would love to see more of Elizabeth Moss just being weird, um, frankly. So the next thing that happens is that on, as Elizabeth Moss's dead body lies on a coffee table in front of them, <laughs> they turn on the TV to discover that this is happening all over the country, right? And in fact, we see, this is another classic horror movie moment. I can't think specifically of where this has happened, but I know it's happened, that the news cameraman himself, as he's reporting yes. the story, gets murdered by his own double. Yes. So And the screen goes all fuzzy, so you know that we're in big trouble. And, uh, and yes. they have to get into the next phase of their escape, which is just to to run from their yes. doubles. I think this newscast is also where we see for the first time that the tethered are lining up, right? I think I think that's the first image that we get of them lining up in the kind of hands across America type mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that clarifies something. I don't know what it clarified in the moment, but I know that in the moment I was like, okay, so they're reproducing this image. Mm-hmm. So that as an end game made sense to mm-hmm. me. They're not just killing everyone. There's an, like a symbolic act that this is going toward. Yeah, that they're doing almost instinctually. In fact, it wasn't until much later that I realized that the Jeremiah eleven eleven guy, who's the first, you know, tethered, reanimated dude right. we see, or reanimated is not the word, the tethered who has taken over for him, is standing in that position when the little right. boy sees him at the beach, right? We don't know why, but he's standing with his arms outstretched with blood dripping down. And in fact, he is basically, I think, supposed to be the first to have made it to the surface right. and is waiting for his his counterparts to join him. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's very eerie. I have to say this image of everyone in their orange jumpsuits, but but often like kind of with a piece of clothing or something that they've stolen from from the, you know, the above ground person that they killed is really eerie. It's cult-like for one thing, yeah. right? It looks yes. like a, they, they belong to a cult, which they do in a way, the cult of Lupita's double. <laughs> yeah. Right. <clears throat> right. No, I, I think that's extremely effective. And also, again, it's one of those things that I don't I love it as an image, and I, I love it that it seems to have a symbolic power. I, I don't know that, like, I've been thinking a lot about the Hands Across America image, um, and beyond the sort of class critique, like the basic class critique that Lupita's double already told us, Red already told us, I don't know how far you can go with it. Mm-hmm. I'm still thinking about that, but I also don't want to overthink it. Yeah, well, I, the, like a lot of stuff in this movie, it obviously is filled with meaning, but it's not clear exactly what the meaning is. Yeah. Or, or how much we're supposed to draw direct parallels the way you can and say, get out, right? Get out right. really is a parable, and you can kind of map it as a parable. This movie would be impossible to map as a single parable, although there's a lot of kind of allegorical connections being established. Right, absolutely. All right, we're going to be here until the dawn if we if we go into every detail that happens before they get to the last act. But let's get to the last act where they take the car, they take the fancy car that's been commented on before, the car that he's right. jealous of that his fancy white friend had, and uh, and drive to the beach. Uh, I guess the idea is that they're going to escape along the coast, but once again, it's one of those horror movie moments like, let's go back to the seat where all the horrors began. <laughs> it's <laughs> such of course, a dumb idea. <laughs> take, going back to the beach takes them right next to the mirror fun house again. And... I don't remember exactly how we get to the point that Lupita's character starts to go back downstairs. Is it because she knows, oh, it's because her son her has son been gets, taken away. Right, her yes, son's yes. been taken by her double. 
Um, and, the, and the way that he kills his double is fantastic and, and, and speaks to what you were saying earlier about them being in this imitative mirroring relationship right. even more than the other tethered. I, I have to say, I was kind of sad for Pluto. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely sad. I, I mean, was, it's, yeah. it's in that moment that Pluto, the tethered version of Jason, uh, is killed by a fire, right? The thing that he's right. been fascinated by his whole life um, that that you start to see this ambivalence in Lupita's character. I mean, yeah. obviously it's really hard to watch a child die that looks exactly like your child, yeah. even if you know that that child is trying to kill your child, right? And yeah. it's notable that she doesn't kill either of those two children, right? I mean, it's her son, by by backing away and getting his double to back into this flaming car, right. their flaming car, um, that kills him. And we'll get to the girl later and what happens to her, but she's not able to bring herself in either of those two cases to, to do yeah, it. Yeah, to finish the job. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty, I think that's a la- layer of like depth to that character that I quite like. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that Jordan Peele is really thinking through the implications of the doubles, not only like your other self, but also like your other son. <laughs> yeah, and, that's, and that, that starts to already hint at what's going to happen in the big twist, which is the place where good and evil start to become completely relative categories. I right. wouldn't even say they're switched and the good people are bad and the bad people are good. It's more that, you know, the idea of a moral absolute starts to, to disappear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she so she follows she follows uh, her Lupita clone down through the funhouse because her clone has taken her son. Because her clone has taken her son, um, she goes underground, underground, underground. We start to see bunnies. We haven't seen the bunnies since the title sequence, right? Like I don't think there've been bunnies between then and now. So this is the first time we're seeing bunnies again. But, but the there is a reference to her them eating raw rabbit because there was nothing else to eat underground. You're remember? right. You're right. Oh, you're right. Ooh. I know. <laughs> What a weird movie. Um, uh, so she that she she kind of comes upon this sort of underground labyrinth. There are rooms that have cots, bunk beds. There are bunnies everywhere. She she comes to the classroom that we see in the title sequence with the, all the bunny cages. They're all open, but there's no one else there except she runs into Red. Uh, and this is sort of when she and Red sort of have their verbal match before they sort of start fighting. But Red starts to unlay this this. Complicated, um, not, I don't think it's overcomplicated, but complicated plan. I don't know what you think of this scene. Uh, everyone else that I saw it with hated this because they thought it was overly expository or something. Because it's yeah, it's, it's like a, a late, you know, it's a third act info dump. I I just I have to say I just sort of I understand Jordan Peele to be someone who likes genre enough that he just sort of takes this to be a thing that happens in this genre movie and goes with it and tries to make it exciting and interesting, but doesn't not do it right. I mean, I think you kind of have to. Take that or leave it. You, yeah, I don't think, the it, I don't think, it, I don't think it bothered me that that there was an explanation there. I, it might have bothered me that I didn't completely get the explanation, that it took 20 <laughs> minutes of post-movie conversation. But that's also part of the excitement of this movie, is that it yeah. leaves so many things unresolved. But what does she establish in the info dump? Well, what doesn't she establish in the info dump? This info dump is really, I mean, it's, it's the villain kind of explaining herself. So this is where she kind of unlays the master plan, and she talks about a moment in their mutual childhoods when Lupita's character had a dance recital and she underground as sort of like the psychological mimic of that does a performance, a similar kind of performance, but underground it has this sort of godlike power. Everyone sees that she has a sort of bigger potential than right. than any of the rest of them have. Because so, it's art, right? I mean, to me, it was, art, it was right. the idea of what something, you know, what a creative individual could bring to right. the culture. It's, it's beauty. And, and so she, she becomes a sort of, figurehead for a broader movement uh, in which they, the tethered, sort of rise up against their above-ground selves. Uh, they get jumpsuits somehow. They get scissors somehow. 
they stay fed somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Like those details are not really explained, and I, I kind of don't really need them to be. Um, but the idea is that that is sort of the beginning of the moment when she starts to plan as a child. Um, the sort of right, the sort of kind of revolution where they're all going to come above ground. Inspired somehow by this Hands Across America T-shirt, right? That for Which, some reason, is framed in a hallway down in the in the labyrinth. Because if I'm not mistaken, Lupita as a child was wearing that shirt before she wore the Thriller shirt. Like she wins the Thriller shirt. Oh, of course. Yes. Well, then, then that brings us to the next revelation because they switch T-shirts, right? right? Ah, that's the thing I didn't even understand that I just now understood. Yeah. It, it, it took me a second because I, I kept wondering, like, why? But I, I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I feel like I remember. I just remember, yeah, that the, the image of Hands Across America is down there, right? Um, it's not just like a thing that's like remembered or something. It's 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 there and they're re- reproducing it. Um Right? Am I right about that? I think that must be right. But I, this is one of the reasons I want to see the movie again, <laughs> is to see how all those details fall into place. Yeah, but, so then to... after the info dump, they have a big physical fight. That I liked. I quite liked their physical fight. Did, did people not like that fight? I mean, I it's think, pretty well staged. I think I've talked to a couple of people who thought it was it, it, it went on too long. But I just, I just loved tethered Lupita's way of moving. She's such a ninja. She clearly has been waiting for this moment to kill her her other self for for a long time. She's got these scissors. She's very she's very like fencer like with her like with her precision and Yeah, it's another moment where you just go, "Wow, Lupita Nyong'o, I didn't know." You know, right. like she, she's, she's got, got this, this whole physicality vocabulary. she invents. Yeah, she's really Which seems like it might have been special effects aided as well, right? Because sure. she's almost moving in a super fast way and has these really sharp turns that seem like they might there might be some special effects in there Absolutely. but however it's done it's utterly unnerving it's completely unnerving and i just want to like just to dwell on her for a second i really think that like lupita really is really showing us like what she can do in this movie and I, even even in her red carpet stuff like the ways that she's kind of been getting glammed up in horror style uh you know with colored contacts and like crazy hair oh i gotta look I just, up some of that stuff really, i didn't know she's that. just yeah she's really like posting these amazing instagram photos I well she's really, always been a runway goddess i mean right right and just like how all in she is on this is just really exciting to me because yeah, like there just aren't many movies that would have cast Lupita Nyong'o as a scream queen, right? I, and I and like whatever your reservations about this movie, think about the fact that like Lupita Nyong'o is a scream queen. Also, I have to say Elizabeth Moss as a scream queen. I definitely want more of her in horror as well. But just like, Jordan Peele is really doing something by putting people who aren't horror actors in these great roles and just really giving them a chance to flex their style and their and their vocabulary and all these things in ways that like other actors I think are doing in Marvel movies. This is what Jordan Peele's doing. I think it's really exciting. And it in turn, that in turn, of course, gives the horror more depth and dimension, right? Absolutely. When you have a, a really good actor who's bringing a ton of emotional complexity to it, then you see like, oh, this isn't just about who's going to escape their scary double. You know, it's about right. much more. Um, so I was going to say, and then we'll get to the big final twist, but the fight scene between them also has something great in a fight scene, which is that it advances character. Yes. And there's a moment when um, she's finally got her double pinned and she starts to choke her with her handcuff chain because she's still yes. handcuffed, right? And I think that, in fact, is the coup de grace that finally does her double in. But as that's happening, her face, Lupita, the the above world Lupita's face, takes on this, you know, crazy kind of murderous glee. And there's this moment that you just see a whole different side of her that isn't just in doing self-defense, but is like enjoying the kill. Yeah. And, uh, 
And my daughter next to me got really nervous at that moment and was saying, like, is she bad? Is she, yeah. Did she turn crazy? Did she turn bad? And yeah. uh, in fact, she was kind of foreseeing, you know, the next moment. But it's much more complex than her turning bad, right? Right, right. So then we get a flashback. I think that the very next thing that happens after that, she kills her devil. She get, finds her son. She gets away. They get back to the ambulance that they're now making an escape in, which has also been prefigured by a toy ambulance, remember, yes. in the first half? Absolutely. And, uh, and so we think that it's the classic horror movie ending, like the last girl, the last family. They've survived. You know, the right. world is horrible. I mean, they're now moving through a world Everyone that's completely full of dead bodies Everyone murdered by their dead. own doubles. You're not really looking for, unlike what she says to her son, like you're not really looking to a world that's ever going to be the same again. Right. right? There's right. no comfort there. But they are still alive and together and they're driving off. And this could be the sunset moment. The end of Get Out, in a way, is a sunset moment, Absolutely. right? Like he makes it, his friend makes it, they get away. Um but then, as she's driving the ambulance away, I believe just in a pure mental flashback, right? Just yeah, in her head. Because her son, is it that her son is looking at her beforehand? Or there's just something in the way that her son looks at her that triggers a sort of, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And you go, you go backwards and you re-see that early scene of her in the funhouse as a kid. And you learn that the double switched places with the real girl. That the double is the one who came back with the family, that the reason she isn't talking uh, and, you know, her therapist, her parents are freaking out and the therapist or whatever um, is because she doesn't have language yet, that she's observing, that she's looking around, that she's going to, like, fulfill the role of herself, but that the real girl is underground. Right. And so then you have to completely reimagine everything you've imagined from the beginning, right? Because the person you've been watching go through all these traumatic experiences had a totally different traumatic experience right. than the one you thought. She didn't just wander away from her family and have a freaky thing happen at a boardwalk. Right. She was born into the netherworld, lived there exactly. until she was eight, and then and then basically kidnapped somebody else and switched places with them and, and had to adapt to another entire world. It's really important to remember that, yeah, it's not that she... It, she had another traumatic experience. I think that's what's really interesting about this concept is that, like... You know, is it wrong that she switched places with the other girl? I don't know. Like, she was escaping what is essentially an underground prison, right? And so that it really makes you rethink, like, when, when Lupita earlier on is talking about this dark cloud over her, sort of the fear that she feels of these people, it's a different fear than you thought because now it's sort of like these people from underground are coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes you rethink her completely in that right. way. And then, of course, it makes you me- rethink Red completely, who is not just a home invader with scissors that we all have to run from, but right. is, you know, a child who was abducted at age eight and brought up in this horrible, loveless, senseless universe. And who but who before that knew what love and et cetera were, who like who has this sense of vengeance that I think is more complex than, yeah, you initially think. I mean, not to say that it wasn't enough that they really just wanted to, you know, the have-nots are coming for the haves, and, and I buy that premise, and that, to me, would be enough motivation. But this is different. Yeah, it, it's, it's more complicated. And I don't know. I, you know, I know that some people are unsatisfied by the way that that twist is pulled off. I mean, you could certainly go back and find plot holes and say, if that yes. was the case, why didn't she just X, Y, Z earlier on, right? Totally. But I, I, I don't know. I think it, ultimately it is about trauma. So so I think a lot of those questions are just like, th- these are two traumatized people no matter how you slice it. So the, the choices that they make are just much more complicated than right and wrong, as, as you pointed out. I don't know. I, 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 like, this is the part of the premise that I really like thinking about. Because it's just like, it, it's two eight-year-olds. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> like How mad are you going to be at someone for wanting to escape prison as an eight-year-old? Um and for wanting to maintain that and for wanting to hold on to that life and for wanting to protect her family, her family, it is her family. Right. And conversely, how mad are you going to be at someone for after spending their 
early years in a, in a world that contained love and sense making, right? right. And then goes to this horrible, senseless place. How much are you going to blame them for organizing an insurrection and trying right. to get out right. and save it's, everyone else along with them? And I really like that. I, I really like that. I, it's not. It's not. I have to say, overall, it's not as elegant and like straightforward as Get Out's concept. But it's richer in but some ways. But it's richer. And it's a sophomore concept in the sense that, like, yeah, it's it's like you did really well the first time. you got to up the ante this time. But I don't know. I think he, you know, there are th- things that he doesn't pull off. But I just think it's like a fun, it's just a fun movie to watch. It's a fun movie to think about. It's like cognitively fun, right? Yeah. I mean, it's emotionally involving both in a kind of dramatic way and in a humorous way and just in a thrill-seeking way. But, uh, but it really leaves you with like a heavy cognitive load when you walk out right. in a good way, I think. Yeah. One question about her last smile. I mean, if there was an us too, what would <laughs> what would happen in it? What does it mean that after we have this huge revelation, pulls out the rug, she's actually the opposite of the two of the double pair than you thought. Um, and she looks at her son and gives him a little bit of a smile that's almost like the creepy smile that's been associated with the tethered the whole time. Right. Um, but. Don't you have the sense that she still loves her family and is going to try to help them survive? Yeah, because yeah, it's still her family. Um, I think if there's going to be an us too, it's going to involve the son because the son knows what's up or he senses what's up because he, he was down in the dungeon with the two Lupitas fighting. And even though he was sort of hidden away, I think that he, in his inability to see but maybe to hear or something, sort of got the sense that his mom, there's more going on with his mom than he thought. That she was more violent than he thought. That it's just it's planted a seed for him of like, what's going on here? Like I, I get that one is in the jumpsuit and one is my mom, but my mom just freaked me out. Um, I, I think he. I don't know if he's put it together that she's that they've switched places early at childhood. I don't think he knows the whole plot, but I do think that he thinks something's up. So yeah. There's an us too. I think it's going to involve him, him and her. And him just knowing something. Right. Because in a way, I mean, the trauma has been passed down through the generations, right? right. He knows that it's not true when she says everything's going to be all right. This is right. not a quiet place. You right. know, everything's not fine. And these at kids the killed end. people. <laughs> you know, both both kids kill people. There's I mean, there's a funny moment where they kind of all are like who has the highest body count gets the drive or whatever. But well, the daughter, we haven't gotten there, but we don't even have to get into it that much. But the daughter is still alive at the end. The, the, the double of the daughter. Right? right. Because we see Lupita encounter her in the forest. I think the whole family thinks she's finished her off, but she doesn't. She can't bring herself to do it. So, right. I mean, I'm up for an us, too, honestly. I, I am, too. I, I, I would watch a sequel. I don't know what he could possibly do. I mean, I mean, it's a tethered, the tethered rule now. I don't know what happens. <laughs> Things are going to get dark. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks so much. If there is an us, too, of course, I will ask you in to spoil it with yeah, me. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Our engineer today was Merritt Jacobs. Our producer was Daniel Hewitt. And if you have any ideas for future movies or TV shows you would like to hear spoiled on Slate, you can write us an email at spoilers at slate.com. We'd love to hear from you. For Kay Austin Collins, I'm Dana Stevens. Please join us next time on the next Slate Spoiler Special. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.